Beautiful. All righty, guys. Welcome to um, the second type of this live stream that we've been doing um, after our video. So uh, I'm not sure if uh, anyone uh, can sort of hear us over there. We're still sort of working at some of the, the bugs and everything like that. We're getting a few... Um, we're getting a few comments and everything like that. But if someone could uh, over on the YouTube live stream, just sort of comment something to the effect that, yep, it's working and we can hear you. That's great. Uh, Cause it means that we know that we're not just here talking to, to each other, uh, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but yeah, you know, it would be uh, good to have sort of a little bit of feedback to know what's going out to someone out there um, watching. There you go. I got a yep. So I'm hoping that uh, is something to the effect of what we're kind of looking at there. Perfect. Oh, and Locke has left us. That's all right. Beautiful. So um, as I was saying to, to everyone, um, this is a new sort of format that we're trying out for our Q&A streams. It's just a little bit more organized, uh, a little bit more concise in the fact of who we're going to be speaking to, uh, as well as who it is that we are going to be getting questions from, just because we're finding that um, perhaps uh, by virtue of their own success, uh, the Q&A streams that we were doing directly streaming the Discord server were a bit uh, unorganized and they were a bit sort of unruly. There were a lot of a lot of people talking over the top of one another uh, and it just meant that perhaps we didn't spend as much time sort of actually on the topic at hand, which was, was the economics. So um, with that out of the way, um, this is just how we're going to do it. We're going to bring sort of a few people on, uh, people that hopefully specialize in the topic at hand or have shown a keen interest or, you know, hey, maybe just sort of regular people that did want to come in and discuss it uh, at the end of the day. It's a Q&A, so there should be a little bit of back and forth. Um, but today's topic is the Belt and Road Initiative. If you haven't already seen the video for that, uh, I would suggest going to watch that first. Um, it was posted on Thursday, um, Thursday morning for people in the United States or probably like Thursday night for other people out there in the world. Now, it was um, obviously a video that caused a lot of controversy, um, and that's why it's particularly important to discuss some of the, the facts and figures and, and details and stuff like that that I went over in it because there's no sort of universal truth, and uh, and good discussion is really at the heart of, of what it is that we do here at Economics Explained. So uh, without further ado, we're going to get into the introductions just so that we know who it is here on the panel, who it is that we're going to be talking to, um, and... I'll start off myself. Uh, obviously, I'm the, the internet video man that is Economics Explained. My background is uh, is actually in microeconomics, um, but most of my videos sort of target macroeconomics. But um, uh, in the real world, I am um, a finance guy. Um, but of course, my passion is, is obviously discussing economics and teaching economics just because that was uh, what I was doing for a good majority of my sort of professional career, which was working as uh, an economist. So um, with that out of the way, you guys sort of probably already know who I am, I suppose, if you're on here watching. Uh, we'll hand over to Matthew, who's, um, yeah, who's up next. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Matthew? Oh, I'm uh, a young technology uh, engineering student. I'm, I'm, I am interested in economics as a hobby, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's really important. We always like to have people from everything. Uh, also, also, I'll just quickly add, uh, Rathi, your microphone is picking up on um, real heavy breathing. <laughs> so oh, I don't sorry. Know that's all right. No, 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 Well, I didn't think we'd have to do the, the mute microphone thing on our stream with just four <laughs> of us, but I stand corrected. Um, now, um, with that out of the way, the person I'm really excited about having on the stream, without revealing too much, um, and he can sort of tell us uh, his background is Matthias, uh, who is, of course, a senior moderator over on the Economics Explained Discord server, um, but he certainly has earned his place, and uh, I'll let him uh, talk uh, to you guys about it so I don't reveal anything that I shouldn't. 
Right. Um, well, yeah, as um, he said, uh, my name is Matthias. Um, uh, my background is uh, in fintech. I run uh, a couple of companies, um, also on the board of, of a couple of financial institutions. Um, uh, without revealing too much about who I am in real life, uh, we we do work with um, uh, some of the initiatives that are related to um, the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, so I, I guess that's why um, I'm on this stream. Beautiful. And then finally, Captain Locke, who was on our last stream and did introduce himself, so we'll keep it brief. Um, and then we will uh, get off into sort of answering some questions or getting into sort of the initial discussion. Uh, so Locke, tell us about yourself. Hi, my name's uh, Captain Locke. I am a high school math teacher. Uh, I have a master's in finance and a bachelor's in law and public policy. Beautiful. And cool. I'm a senior mod, yep. Oh, yeah, it's also a senior model. We'll throw that in there as well. Uh, and then, of course, a shameless plug is to, to anyone that does want to be considered for the live streams, um, join our Discord server, have a chat to one of the senior moderators. They will be able to sort of bring you on. Uh, we tend to prefer people that are, will have sort of experience in the area that we are looking at. So if you, I don't know, if we make a video about, uh, I don't know, the economics of uh, money laundering or something like that, and you're, a, you're an investment banker, you'd be like, hey, you, you, you get on here because you know a lot about the subject. Uh, or, of course, anyone sort of with a broad interest in it that just really wants to be on, um, absolutely sort of something that uh, we can sort of work with you to, to get. Now, um, with that out of the way, I suppose we'll sort of kick off the discussion by really briefly kind of going over... Um, you know, what our own sort of thoughts on the Belt and Road Initiative are, sort of where we stand on it, because obviously it's a very, very divisive issue. Um, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, people kind of, um, you know, get it, get kind of a little bit uh, sort of scared, I suppose, about what it is um, that, that China's really planning. And I suppose uh, the crux of the video was ultimately that, hey, you know, maybe this might not actually be such a, a terrible thing. Uh, maybe this is just you know, um, good, genuine foreign domestic policy where they just want to make some money for for all of their constituents. Now, what are your uh, individual thoughts on that? And I'll start with you, Matthias, just because, um, you know, of course, you have some exposure to the the whole process and on a very much a ground level, you're, you're in and amongst it. You're not sort of looking at it from a real third-party perspective. Well, so, I mean, the, the perspective I'm uh, looking at is uh, very finance-related, right? And... Um, from, from that perspective, I think that um, the world we're living in at the moment is very controlled by the American financial system. And uh, as you already know, guys, and probably a lot of the people that are watching the stream that are in the Discord, um, I'm very much for free markets and competition. And I think um, despite uh, all of the, um, you know, the things that you could say about China that... Um, uh, you know, people like me would not agree with. Um, I, I still think that on the whole, it's um, I think it's a benefit to the global economy to have some more players in, you know, the space of, of running the backbone of, of our financial systems. Uh, ultimately, I think um, no matter who the participants are, um, more competition is generally speaking a good thing because, you um, to get people to use these systems, you actually need to provide them something that's worth value. Um, and regardless of it being China, I think um, you know they they have the um, both the capacity through the industry that they have in China and um, 
um, you know, also the incentive to actually do something that uh, is better than what the Americans are doing, because otherwise they're just not going to get uh, any other um, economies on on board with this initiative. Um, so that, I mean, that's the high level perspective from like what I what I can say about it on the ground. I mean, obviously there is, and we'll get into that at some point in the call as well. I know there's some questions about, you know, dead traps and all of these things. And we can get into some specifics about uh, um, uh, about where maybe it's not the case that it's better for some of these economies, but uh, but on the whole, I think it is. Yeah, so it ultimately boils down to, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's an option finally, you know, realistically kind of America's monopolized the, the international market for, um, you know, all of what the sort of Belt and Road Project sort of hopes to achieve. And having, you know, hey, maybe another sort of global currency, uh, another sort of global uh, trade partner um, that sort of rivals the United States means that, uh, you know, finally they have to exist on all of these sorts of things that they've potentially kind of gotten away from and and ridden on, uh, ridden on the back of. So I pass it over to uh, to Locke as well, who's obviously um, probably not as directly impacted by it, but probably give us, uh, you know, sort of the the view from. Uh, someone that's had this sort of experience dealing with the finances of it as well and sort of see what, what, I mean, what's your thought on it? Where would you kind of particularly land on? Is this some kind of evil, you know, is this the next uh, evil empire or uh, is this a really benign something that, or maybe something that's going to benefit us all? Uh, I'm definitely not in the camp of this is an evil empire. Um, I, for one, I joke a lot of times. I, for one, welcome our new Chinese overlords. I, I joke, but uh, my my stance is um, very much in the camp of, you know, I don't see uh, the issue of China wanting to, you know, flex its muscles and also, you know, spend its newfound wealth and uh, expand its its global power. Um, because, I mean, what they're doing at the end of the day is largely profit motives. And I know people you know, are, are tempted to say that, um, you know, uh, China, oh, big bad boogeyman, we have to run for, or we have to, uh, you know, prevent them from doing this, or we all have to take uh, cover, duck and hide. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is, is for the most part, profit, profit uh, driven and uh, is to help the Chinese economy and the Chinese people at large. Um, and China has been very successful with growing their middle class, um, you know, the, the number of households in China that we classified as middle class is it, it's an, it's amazing what they've uh, accomplished in my lifetime alone, going from um, like, if you just look at the pictures, like pictures of uh, Shanghai, for instance, I love using those uh, just showing like what China is capable of. Um, it's, absolutely impressive beautiful and to play devil's advocate i suppose just to add like an extra bit into the mix is um yeah i think uh most people have sort of landed on the fact that yep okay this is something that is more profit profit driven it's a good a decent investment for them um whether it is for for the other um you know, other participants, uh, as Matt has alluded to, hey, maybe that's not necessarily the case. We'll sort of look into that. But um, here is something that might be sort of a little bit of a, a stickler in it, uh, which is the sense that, um, hey, you know, look, China is is ultimately a, a very much sort of an you know authoritarian state. Um, it's one of those things that you kind of have to be delicate about it. But in reality, look, that is what it is. 
Um, it's a state where the government wields a lot of control over its people and, and oftentimes doesn't also always have their best interests necessarily at heart. Um, and then I'd put it to, to you guys that obviously um, have sort of said, and, and look, I tend to agree with, with you uh, on the crux of that, but it is something that would need to be considered. Where would you kind of sit on, on that? Would there be a nation that you'd think is... Um, you know, better suited to be maybe, you know, America's runner-up or, or eventual successor? Um, and, you know, uh, do you think there's potentially an alternative to maybe just sort of this this two, I don't want to say two-party approach, but this two-nation approach to the world economy? Um, so what would what would your thoughts be on that, uh, especially you and I, just because, um, you know, you're such a, uh, you know, uh, a bold libertarian, you, uh, you know, you love the free market and everything like that and, um, you know, Oftentimes that sort of runs counter to what, um, you know, the message of, especially let's say the CCP is. Well, f fundamentally the world that we currently live in, um, we only have one, um, you know, provider of this uh, backbone and that that's the US. So going from one to two, and in my opinion, is an improvement. Obviously I'd prefer for, um, uh, for there to be even more participants in that space. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Alexander Dugan. Uh, he's quite an interesting philosopher that um, s some people call, you know, the brains behind um, uh, behind Putin. Um, and like he, he's written a book. Um, don't want to get too much into it, but basically the message of, of his book is that um, w the world should move towards polycentrism. Um, and that basically just means that instead of having, you know, American hegemony, uh, we should maybe have a world with multiple power centers because uh, multiple power centers means that we can have, uh, you know, more diversity of thought, even though that some of that, that thought is going to be, um, uh, authoritarian thought. Um, it's, um, I mean, you can you can discuss whether it's a good thing for the Chinese people, but the reality of the situation in China is that uh, you know they live under this control, and um, there's um, I mean the only road for improvement that I see is that uh, you you move towards um, you know more trade uh, internationally, and then eventually with um, more economic power than. The Chinese people get more autonomy as well, and they, I mean, this is something that we've seen play out multiple times throughout history, even going as far back to the establishment of uh, pseudo democracy in in Athens. Uh, you know, before democracy in Athens, they had the the archons that uh, were in charge of society, uh, and really, the way that they got autonomy in in Athens and you know started getting some. Some political say was uh, was only after they they got uh, economic power that uh, they then could, could go on to wield. So I think um, you know connecting the Chinese people to the international economy is uh, is going to be um, a good thing, and and hopefully there is uh, going to be more countries that uh, that also become um, uh, power centers, and then eventually you know. Uh, to get towards the, the end that I really want to see in the world, we, we can maybe go uh, to a point where we have uh, hundreds, even thousands of, of power centers. That's a really interesting one. And uh, look, uh, to be honest with you, Dugan's work is something that I'm I'm aware of, but not particularly uh, familiar with. Does he say anything to the effect that, um, 
look, obviously, when you're talking about polycentrism, there is a lot to be sort of said for it in the sense that, uh, you know, hey, if anything, it's that it diversifies, you know, who it is that holds the power in the world, which may be uh, a good thing, you know. Um, if we're ultimately all at the mercy of, you know, the United States and, and its agenda and, and, you know, its consumer market and everything like that, and, um, you know, we sort of have a, a magic world with, with how they sort of do business, maybe um, we aren't going to necessarily even, hey, maybe it might not even be that we developed, you know, sort of the most competitive markets or, or we don't sort of, um, you know, sort of engage with ideas that are going to provide genuine benefit. But does Duke say anything to the uh, to the effect of of what this polycentrist world would mean for, um, you know, things like war and, uh, you know, foreign relations and, and even the globalised world that we live in today, uh, if we have, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of entities that sort of hold their own power in their own specific region and they sort of, um, you know, sort of all, I would assume, sort of have some level of um, sort of desire for, for, for influence, um, does he sort of say anything to the effect that, well, look, I mean, that means that they're, they're likely to go to war. Uh, I mean, for, for better or for worse today, uh, part of the reason why we don't have massive world wars anymore is because, well, uh, you know, there's just more money to be made in doing business with one another. Um, there's more money to be made in trade than, than blowing each other up, and we kind of are sort of dependent on, on one another. Um, do, do they say anything to, to that effect, or, or what's his sort of thoughts around that? Well, he, he's not an economist, right? But um, I mean, if if I'm going to take the analyst hat on when uh, reading that book, I, I I don't think that he's making an argument that there is going to be more war because of this. I mean, uh, just because you have multiple power centers doesn't mean that the reality of I think of the question being is, um, I think the question isn't about whether what he says about if there's going to be more war. It's more of if you if if he doesn't say anything about the war, knowing the book what do you think he would say to address what he is saying of the idea of those multiple power centers uh there might be a proclivity for war does he does he address any of that kind of stuff in the in the book or uh is it something that's beyond his his um his area of other people other people talk about that I mean, he he does uh, he does talk about war in the book as well, but um, uh, from from my analysis of it, it's uh, you know the world that we're moving towards is not war is not necessarily just fought on the battlefield, and uh, actually most war at this point is fought economically, right? Um, so it depends on what you mean by war as well. I I don't think that uh, Dugan really wants uh, you know to uh to make the world more violent that's not my analysis of, of what uh what what he wants uh he he just wants like one of the things he attacks a lot like he attacks it repeatedly both in the book but also in interviews uh, is what he calls the totalitarianism of, of liberalism um that uh, the world that we currently live in uh the the only political ideology that you can be under because it's no longer juxtaposed to other ideologies like fascism and communism, then liberalism has become a totalitarianism onto itself. That's one of the main points that he makes. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, he certainly, it certainly makes some interesting arguments. Uh, to be honest, I'm, um, as I said, I'm aware of him, not, not familiar with him. So it's a really interesting sort of idea, and especially sort of how it rates it. It seems like he was sort of looking at it from the lens of, um, you know, Russia. Um, but how it sort of extends to, to things like China with its Belt and Road Initiative. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, interesting dynamics. So um, that being said, though, we are now 20 minutes into the stream, uh, our Q&A session without any Qs and or A's. <laughs> so uh, let's get into it now. How we did it last time is is Captain Locke seemed to be best at hunting down some questions for us. So uh, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, ask the questions that you sort of see fit. And you guys feel free to ask the questions over on the YouTube live stream. Uh, or if you're watching from the Discord server, um, there's an EE video questions live there. Uh, we'll pick them out uh, from from either of those as we sort of see fit. So, uh, Captain Locke, do your thing. Go find us a good question. Well, this is more of a question directed towards UE, and you're doing your research. Um, so, Jspit uh, on YouTube asked, uh, "Do Chinese companies also own a lot of the mining rights in these developing nations?" And that was in regards to discussion about uh, ports. Um, that's what I found this comment initially in the YouTube comment section. Yeah, so there we go. Hang on, I've tried the uh, banner thing down the bottom there. Uh, yeah, isn't that cool? I just have to type it out really fast as you're asking me the question while also comprehending it. Um, beautiful. So that's fancy. It means that if anyone's watching the YouTube live stream, they can scroll through and they can kind of see what we're on now. Um, anyway, but uh, sort of self-gloating out of the way that I finally mastered this technology. Uh, it's a really, really interesting uh, question. And the, the answer is uh, yes, yeah, in some uh, capacity that they, they do. Uh, and if you look at nations in Africa, uh, it's quite unusual, actually. You, you go to these you know, African nations that are, um, you know, in many respects, obviously quite poor and, and underdeveloped. And then you'll find these sort of little townships and they're just absolutely full of Chinese people. Um, it's bizarre. It's, it's the most bizarre thing ever. And I, I know there's a fantastic documentary that sort of details it. Uh, for the life of me, I wouldn't even remember who it was. Perhaps it was a Vice documentary or anything like that. Uh, but effectively, yes, uh, you know, uh, Chinese businesses have kind of come in and, um, you know, sort of set up shop in these, these African nations. They've bought mining permits and um, they kind of, you know, do their thing. And, and oftentimes you'll find that, you know, um, while the... Uh, the locals or the, or the local miners are out there sort of with hand tools and, um, you know, foraging through it with like, you know, panning for bits and bobs or whatever it is that the resources that they're looking for. Um, you know, these these Chinese companies obviously have a bit more money behind them. Uh, they come in with, you know, excavators and, and you know, heavy sort of refining equipment. Um, and oftentimes it does sort of uh, detract from, um, you know, the local sort of business that we, which is built around, you know, for better or for worse, um, mining using these very, very crude, um, these very, very crude systems. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, obviously, it's causing a lot of animosity between, uh, you know, these these Chinese people that are that are coming in, setting up shop, you know, effectively, you know, from from the the lens of the the locals stealing their natural resources, uh, and the people that you know. Uh, you know, aren't making a fortune off these these natural resources, but are making their living off these natural resources by going out there and digging them up by hand. Uh, and that means that, yeah, um, I sort of see do see a lot of tension between that, at least at a, a very, very local level. Uh, as it relates to the Belt and Road Project, uh, I don't think it's a, it's a federal, like, or sorry, a national initiative um, by China per se, um, but it is something that, that happens. And you know, maybe it's um, maybe it's been accelerated by the fact that you know there is obviously a, a push to um, you know bring out infrastructure and, and things like that. So it's an interesting question um, as it sort of relates just to maybe sort of the influence of, of Chinese business and, and things like that. But uh, a counterpoint that I would argue, uh, sorry, add to it is 
Um, this is a very visible representation of when this happens. You know, this is a very sort of like, oh, my God, that's so in your face. We can see it exactly happening right then and there. Um, but in a sense, you know, if we think of every mining company ever. Uh, Rio yeah, in a sense, it, this happens all the time. This yeah. is nothing new in the international community. It's like, oh, this is uh, standard operations. Uh, it's always a the, the key question to keep in mind is like, how blatant is it? Is it? Is it, uh, are we drawn, or is our attention drawn to it because it's, there's an underlying issue that goes beyond just acquiring mining rights to, you know, say like, oh, they're doing something that is moral or unethical, or is it more of, we're just focusing on it because it's Chinese and because it's a story that sells papers. Look at all these Chinese mining, Chinese companies coming in and buying up all these resources. Oh, how bad of them? Um, when in reality, uh, it might be the case that we're just selectively choosing to focus on those companies and, and China in particular. Yeah. And I think um, I think China perhaps uh, does it in a way that has sort of slightly worse optics. You know, it, it happens, you know, think of it. Uh, if you Even if you go to practically any oil-rich country or resource-rich country in the world, you're going to find a Shell or a BP or a Rio Tinto or BHP or whatever it is operating in those nations. Uh, that's just sort of how it's done. Um, and certainly these companies have the capacity to build these massive mines and they have the capital behind them to facilitate that type of, um, you know, operations that make these sort of resources economically viable to extract. Um, but on a much smaller sort of potentially uh, less photographic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, on a less sort of amazing looking level, uh, China's kind of just doing that that same thing. But realistically, I think uh, the impacts of that are probably far smaller than what they are um you know with with other more established you know national uh, sorry international corporations but it's a really really interesting question and it's interesting in the sense that people sort of brought it up um because it is such a probably like in the grand scheme of things such a non-issue i guess um but it's one of those things that does grab out Ooh, sorry i mean me. ultimately it does create uh it creates jobs in local economies um it uh, like to be able to extract the resources and transport them to China where they're needed for industry. Uh, they need to build uh, harbors and uh, roads and you know train tracks and all of these things. So ultimately, I think there's uh, there's a lot of benefit to be had for the nations that um, uh, that that do allow China to come in and extract resources as well. So it, it's, I mean, <clears throat> in the grand scheme of thing, I think uh, things. I think it's 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 mostly good for the local economies and i think the same was the case for the western nations that uh, that uh, started doing this uh, i mean i know that the communists are very against this but the reality of the matter is that if um like say in a country like congo if they did not have the expertise of, of foreign nations coming in and helping them with establishing this infrastructure it just wouldn't get done and like what's what's better not having anything or having something and having the resources extracted i mean yeah i i would uh agree with that and um you know I, I, there's a lot of different uh ideas floating around in this and matthias uh i love that you brought that up because talking about infrastructure in these in these communities is super important um and kind of like getting as he said in the video your foot in the door is one of like is a huge challenge with uh, development in um, in underfunded uh, regions of the world and uh, quote unquote develop uh, developing uh, areas. 
one of the things though that I was interested in when I was studying uh, international law and international uh, uh, trade or international agreements and and uh, and that uh, was the way that it almost we kind of exploits the resources of others um, more if we come in and you know we provide them this infrastructure but the terms of the service or the terms of the deal are really one-sided and then we say well all oh, that's because we have the capital which I don't know uh, personally like I can never come to an idea of what it, if it's good or bad I don't know I was interested in, in seeing what you what your thoughts are on that yeah well it's one of those things I mean um it really is quite a difficult dilemma because it's better to have something on bad terms than nothing at all. Um, and, and is that, you know, inherently fair or, or, or is that something where, um, you know, maybe these, these nations just don't have the ability to shop around. Now, to answer that question, you have to make some really, really big assumptions, right? Uh, you have to assume that there's no corruption in the decision-making process. You know, you know, people with the ability to make decisions over who gets to access these natural resources don't have uh, ulterior motives in the sense that they've been bribed by, um, you know, uh, officials from from any sort of party whether that be from you know a chinese mining company or shell or, or whatever it is uh, and we know for a fact obviously that does happen and that it is quite rife now if that kind of argument is put aside um and we assume that hey maybe that kind of corruption doesn't exist you know we put our rose tinted glasses on um i would agree that realistically uh it is better for it to happen but I would also say that there are two really important things that could really improve this. Uh, one is some kind of open marketplace where nations can genuinely, uh, sorry, international marketplace where uh, nations can genuinely auction off um, their resources in an open, transparent kind of way. Uh, unfortunately, for a lot of these these nations that do have, you know, resources, but uh, but don't have the infrastructure to, to properly utilize them. They're kind of desperate in the sense that, you know, who, if someone comes along and says, oh, you know, hey, we're going to make you a great deal, they kind of got to take it then because uh, they might, it's just not that many players Quote, to Great deal. You know, well, yeah, exactly. In, in reality, um, you know, maybe the first deal is going to be a bad deal, but. Um, I like, agree. Yeah, let's exactly. even assume that that the that, let's assume that it's the case that uh, like corruption is rife and so on, and this is the case in most African nations, for example. Uh, well, uh, maybe the second and the third deal is going to be slightly better, and and then better and better and better, and it, it takes a long time for these things to change. I mean, uh, ultimately, as I said earlier, what what you really need is the, the local population needs more financial means. Uh, and once they have financial means, then then they have uh, economic power. And when you have economic power, then you can start, uh, you know, um, from a better more. negotiating position than you than you were in before. Yeah, it's um, an interesting one. So it gets it gets your foot in the door. Maybe you're going to get in with a pretty shit deal. It's like your first job, right? You're probably going to be scrubbing toilets or uh, you know flipping burgers or something like that because you don't have any experience. You don't have any money. You don't have. You kind of really got to take the first thing that you get given and uh, and work your way up from there. That's an interesting perspective. Now, the other thing that I really wanted to ask with this question, um, and I'll put it over to you guys to agree or disagree with me or or really sort of bring your own uh, flavor to the table here. Uh, is is how nations uh, acquire these these resources. Now, um, there's sort of two ways that you can fund infrastructure in a foreign com uh, country, right? Uh, you can directly fund it yourself. Say, hey, uh, let us dig up your oil or 
iron ore or um, whatever it is that you have here or let us set up a port here in your nation or do whatever it is that we want to do with your nation. Um, and then you go and do it. You, you build that port and you fund it with your own money and that's your port. You own it. Uh, or that's your mine. You own it. Uh, and obviously there might be some kind of payback. You know, either you have to pay taxes in that country or you have to pay, um, you know, to, to purchase that, that land or um, you, there's mining permits or whatever it is. There's some way that you give uh, a cut of that back to the nation. But ultimately then that's yours. That's your equity. That's your asset. Um, you know, it's yours to to do with as you see, plit, uh, see fit and, and run that in the most profitable way possible so that you make as much money as you can with your asset. Now, the alternative to that is, of course, funding it with debt, um, saying, hey, you know, we're going to make you a deal. We'll write you a check for a billion dollars. That should be enough money for you to uh, build that new port or, or build that new mine. And then, uh, you know, just pay us, you know, 1% or 2% interest. And, and maybe we sort of put caveats to that debt that, hey, maybe you have to, um, you know, do whatever it is or hire a Chinese mining company or hire a, a Chinese construction company to build that port. But but after it's all said and done, uh, that's your port. You own it so long as you pay off the debt. Um, now, assuming that we're not talking about debt trap diplomacy or anything like that here, um, which of those two do you think is a better answer for these these developing countries? And uh, I'll open it up to the YouTube live stream and the, the comment section as well. Um, what do you guys think ooh, of that? So the That's first alternative is like save yourself, and second is borrow from others. I would say uh, you, you forgot a third, uh, which is a blend. Oh. It's not a cut. It's yeah. not one or the other. <laughs> Oh, of course. Oh, well, of course you're there. Yeah, yeah I got the blend. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my choice. I like a blend. <laughs> you, gotta, it, you gotta muddy the water with that. Uh, exactly. Make a, make an assertive decision. Stand by it. God damn it. Um, interesting. For me, it, it depends on, you know, it depends on the deal. I mean, how much money are you going to lend me? How much do I need to pay back? I mean, one of the things China's uh, China's been doing with some of the deals that they've been making is that they've um, like they've done some debt forgiveness, for example. Um, so, I mean, there there are some of the deals that are better than others. Um, like, how much money are you going to be be lent? How long do you have to pay it back? What is it that you're going to be spending the money on in the short term? Does that have some kind of uh, long-term benefit that outweighs uh, building up, uh, you know, equity in in the mining industry or whatever it is that you're selling off? Um, it, it there's so many factors, and this is very hard to get um, like to give a, a single answer to that. I think. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously the advantages of the the equity purchase. Now, equity sort of looks like at least in the the, the chat, it was sort of the um the less popular of the two um now that's fine um but of course the um the, the big the big sort of game with equity is look if it is the the shell or the you know the bhp or i don't know rio tinto or whatever it is that it is sort of investing into this asset that they will own um they they're invested you know uh if this this operation goes tits up well it's their neck on the line um, or if, you know, um, they don't produce as much iron as they, they thought, or, you know, there's not as, it doesn't run as profitably as they thought, it's them that loses the money. So they have an invest, well, literally a vested interest in making sure um, that this all goes smoothly, that, you know, they sort of operate as they sort of have said that they will, uh, that they keep the sort of constituents there happy uh, with the operation in the region, which is a big benefit there. 
Um, and then, of course, the, the big benefit of the debt is that you kind of maintain that control and, hey, eventually, maybe one day once you pay off that debt, uh, it'll be yours and it'll be yours then to, um, you know, profit from out into the future, which is is one of those sort of nice things to sort of think about. Uh, it's the same way that we kind of think about, um, you know, paying off our own home loans or, or things to that effect. Um, but I think Matt has sort of said it right in the sense that there's no right answer. It really does depend on the deal. Um, but it is interesting to sort of see where people land there. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm more of a fan of, of the equity. You know, hey, if you want to, um, you know, sort of set up your operations here in my nation, that's fine. Do it. Um, obviously, you know, we're going to tax you or charge you in terms of permits and stuff like that. Um, but if you think you can do it better than, than us, you know, so be it. Have at it. And uh, obviously, you know, just pay us back in the meantime. And, uh, and that means that we can keep on doing whatever it is that we do well as a nation. Um, but of course, you know, there is, there's no sort of limit of problems with that. Um, but it is an interesting question. Now, the it also depends on what resource we're talking about, right? Like it, it could be that a resource is more useful now than it is in the future. And if, if that's the case, then what really matters is just speed. Like how mm. quickly can you get that resource out of the ground and get it to market? Yeah. So what would you argue as a resource like that? Like oil at the moment? Well, obviously not. Yeah, oil, moment, I, but... I think, is, is one of those resources. I mean, right now, right, oil is not the greatest thing to pull out of the ground. But for the, for the past, um, like if let's say that we compare the past 10 years with say 70 years in the future, like when when is that resource going to be worth most money? Yeah. It's hard to say, but it could be the case that it's worth, uh, worth most right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's speculation and and no one can do that effectively. But yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, thing to add to it um, as well. And and then on the debt forgiveness, it's an interesting I would thing. I would add that, oh, sorry, um, yeah, yeah. sorry, I've been trying to get questions up and listen. Uh, and formulate my response at the same time. So one of the things that I uh, talked about with my friend uh, from Sierra Leone uh, was I told her one time that, you know, I have an interest in investing in Africa. And we, we talked about how to really go about that. Um, and one of the things I am extremely interested in doing is, you know, doing equity, obviously investment, but then selling off my equity over time to, uh, you know, people uh, in Africa. So if I were to set up, uh, you know, a company in, let's say, Nigeria. Um, during the time, you know, I do generate my profits, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I I give up all of my uh, my shares or all of. Uh, I'm trying to push it towards so that it's either the company is either an international, or is uh, would start to be owned by the local people, right? And then from there, they can do with it what they want. They can sell it or they can hold on to it. Um, but my, my whole thing is uh, I'm very interested in, you know, I come in, I get my profits, but then like uh, I have this, you know, somewhat of a guilty conscience. Like I can't keep extracting. Uh, I feel I feel like I'm I am uh, ultimately extracting. Uh, maybe that's because I've you know studied uh, colonialism and neocolonialism uh, to the point where I'm just like, yeah, can't do it. Don't want to do it. Don't want to don't want to be seen in that light at all. Uh, and like I'm like historically aware of like the burdens uh, of the past, um, but uh, yeah. that's uh, I you know I like to joke that I play on hard mode and I'm like I take things uh, you know in a totally different route than other people would, and some people would say like well, like you could just not sell it. There's nothing stopping you, right? Uh, but for me, it's just more of a personal decision. So Why would completely you feel irrational. Guilty of over owning a. You know, stock or whatever. 
Oh, it's not stock. It's more of uh, if I'm like when I imagine like these companies, it's usually I'm on the ground working on them in mm-hmm. like, let's say Nigeria. But then ultimately, you know, I don't want to stay in Nigeria forever. Um, I want to, you know, travel around and move to other places or, you know, return back to the United States. Uh, and so in that sense, like I don't want to be owning something that I don't have uh, a direct hand in anymore. Um, like it's one thing for for stocks, but in this case, like let's say it was something that I really started my myself. Well, I want to pass that on to somebody else um, because if it's, in a, if, especially if it's embedded, the company itself is embedded within the community. It's not something that I really want to, uh, you know, take abroad, I guess. Yeah. Trust, uh, trust Captain Locke to, to bring morals into profiting off a third world country. <laughs> nah, nah. But uh, obviously that, that is a fantastic point. And the last thing I want to do on this sort of point is uh, maybe something that we'll loop back to is, is on the point of debt forgiveness and things like that, which, uh, yeah, which China has actually sort of famously done, um, you know, especially amidst uh, the coronavirus and, and things like that. Uh, a lot of these debts, they sort of said, okay, well, obviously, you know, bit of a rough old time right now. Um, you know, you can defer your repayments on these debts. Um, and I would argue there's, there's one of two things that are happening here. Uh, the first is that China just genuinely wants these countries to do well um, so they can continue to profit off each other into the future. Uh, or the second is they just want to make sure that, um, you know, their optics, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of, uh, you know, faces is incredibly important, especially on an international ch- stage and especially for China. Uh, they want to save face by... Um, you know, making sure that they're not seen as this, this big bad boogeyman uh, profiting off a crisis, a crisis that, you know, obviously they probably started or they did start. Um, and there's there's two things, two reasons why. Uh, now, obviously, the first is that they just, you know, they're just doing the right thing. Uh, or the second is that they want more people to be willing to take on their debt. Um, you know, they want it so that when they go to that the next country along and say, hey, you want to want to borrow a billion dollars to to build a new mining facility or a new railroad or something like that. Uh, the people aren't going to go. Uh, I would, but no, thank you. I saw what you did to the last country when when they hit a, a snag in the road. Um, is that something that you think is the case, or am I just sort of overanalyzing it and sort of I don't know? Maybe maybe I'm too much of a cynic. I mean, that's just good business, right? Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. I suppose all, all a lot of banks around the world are doing exactly the same thing. And uh, since China's kind of like uh, a uh, you know a nation-sized bank on the international community, it's uh, maybe it's doing the same thing. It's all about the publicity. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually it's one it's one of the mistakes that people make when they look at capitalism. They assume that capitalism that the motives are all monetary, but the reality is that uh, when you know, this is one of the things I really like about Austrian economists, that they recognize that profit is not just monetary. Uh, we, we use a, a concept that uh, we call psychic profit. So it, you can have all kinds of reasons for why you're doing something. You're getting, like, they, there could be a geoeconomic benefit from something, if we're talking on a country level. Uh, there could be a charitable benefit, um, like, where, where it just, uh, like, makes you, good, makes you look good or whatever. Uh, or may, maybe it's something that actually... Um, like you, you just uh, you feel good about doing because there's some kind of ideological alignment or whatever. Um, there, there's a thousand reasons why someone uh, uh, can think that they're profiting off of something that that's not monetary. Yep, yeah, and uh, another school uh, of thought. So I studied uh, feminist economics. Yes, I did that, uh, and we oh, also boy. have a similar thing uh, that similar to the Austrian school where we talk about 
you know, pro, uh, prof, like benefits being more than just profit. Uh, and so, you know, decision-making might be uh, profit-driven, but, it, you know, there's other things like warm, fuzzy feelings that you get. Like, uh, Matthias, what's the word that you use with, uh, like, the psychological profit? What is the exact term that you guys well, use? We, we just call it psychic profit. Psychic so it, profit. when we're talking about yeah. monetary profit, we call it monetary profit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we have a similar thing in uh, in, in feminist uh, economics, but it and also there's a when I was I'm very interested in merging a lot or studying like the intersection of, of these types of uh, policies and these types of uh, discussions and uh, issues. Uh, anyway, we're on 45 minutes now. So E, do we want to move on to the next question? Yes. Yeah. 45 minutes. We've answered one, one whole question. And okay. actually the next question that I want to uh, answer is the one that I'm going to pop up here, which I think is really, really good. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, choose that one. And then hopefully you've got some other questions lined up. We'll get through everything a little bit quicker. Uh, Cause <laughs> we did get a bit sidetracked, sure. there, but that's okay. That's uh, all good fun. They say all right. that he wins the race. Yes. So current question, what happens if the nations don't pay back their debt? Oh, actually I wanted to ask a question. Like I have one, that was going to lead into that. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we work on it backwards? Uh, we'll, okay. or, or ask your question and we'll, we'll go through it like that. Well, oh, okay. Sounds like you're more on top of it than I was. Yeah. J1 on uh, YouTube on the live stream asked, uh, do you have any insights into software initiatives in the Belt and Road, like government scholarships for international students and company internships? That is to say, Chinese government scholarships being offered to international students from Africa and elsewhere. And That's actually, yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, so actually, if you in the chat, uh, J1 was discussing with somebody else saying that they they go they uh, I think they they go to a Chinese school or they live in China, but they're not originally from China. And I, I knew about this uh, from, of all things, the coronavirus when I was listening to some news stories about uh, um, African nations ha having difficulty getting their international students back home to yeah. uh, like like Kenyans, uh, the, the, the nation of Kenya, having difficulties getting Kenyans who lived in uh, China who went to Chinese universities. Uh, and so from there, I went and looked and like, oh, there's this whole community of like, uh, I don't know if I can use the word expats, but uh, people f like just people studying abroad, uh, basically. Um, yep. And uh, I think the, these types of initiatives are, are core to the Belt and Road uh, initiative. These, these types of relationships, uh, because it gets them, it's like building a web. It makes them interconnected. Yeah, and it's interesting how much that kind of influence is actually one of the central tenets. There's a there's a big white paper basically on on what the Belt and Road Initiative hopes to achieve, um, and I'm assuming it's sort of translated. But uh, but one of the big ones is is literally sort of. Uh, increasing its influence in, in education, the, the conduct of science and technology. Uh, and even I think one of the ones that I found most surprising was, was, was Chinese traditional medicine. So they kind of all clump that all into one big thing, which is basically they, they want to, they really want to win hearts and, and more importantly, minds. Now, I think the big thing there would be um, it, it does help that influence. You think if you were in a nation and you went to, um, you know, a Chinese school, um, potentially you learnt, you know, you learnt Chinese or you've sort of, sort of grown up in a, in a system that's influenced by, um, you know, maybe it's Chinese influence or Chinese dogma, that's up to you to decide. Um, but you would align yourself with 
you know, China as a nation in the same way that most of us in the Western world kind of, for better or for worse, and without maybe realizing it, align ourselves with a, an American way of thinking just because, uh, you know, we're, we speak English, uh, we, we watch American media, we, we learn American things, we, we watch American politics and uh, and that's sort of just one of those things. It's like we all kind of see ourselves as little baby Americas. Um, whether that's actually the case in your particular country, who really knows? I know for Australia especially, uh, it absolutely is. People will try and deny it, but it's absolutely the case. Uh, and that's a really powerful thing. Uh, and maybe that's that's sort of what they're trying to do there. Uh, of course, there's the sort of upfront benefits of the sense that, hey, you know, uh, if you have uh, a lot of nations working together and they're full of very, very smart people that can react you know, make these fantastic scientific discoveries, isn't that great? Um, but on a sort of more, you know, on a, a more foundational level, um, it's also people that just happen, you know, a lot of smart people that just so happen to align themselves with the ideologies of of China, uh, as opposed to sort of any other alternative out there. I don't know, what are, you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Nope, you all completely agree with me. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you've kind of touched on all the points. Uh, and then this we can like transition into the the current question of what happens if nations don't pay back uh their debt i was going to use the example of like say kenya uh if, if kenya uh decides to default on their debt well this is going to have a negative impact far a far greater negative impact than just simply uh the loss of a port or the loss of of mining fields uh what's going to what it's going to do uh potentially because of this interconnectedness uh with soft power China, you know, flexing its muscles in the way of, of granting, uh, you know, scholarships to attend prestigious Chinese universities, they'll say, well, we'll, we'll offer less uh, scholarships to Kenyan students now, or like, we'll, we'll take a less, uh, a smaller population of, of uh, Kenyan students. Uh, and that's going to negatively impact uh, uh, Kenya um, in a way because you're just now kind of denying uh, Kenya the the opportunity of of uh, like education at you know prestigious universities. You're uh, also you're also in a sense kicking them out of the club. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like, hey, you know, all of your neighbors are, are in this lovely new Belt and Road Initiative, and if we just sort of circumnavigate around you and just sort of leave you here, sort of abandoned amongst all of your peers, um, well, hey, isn't that um, isn't that terrible for you? Boohoo! You should have paid back your your debts. Uh, now, of course, that might not be the reality. And I think another sort of um, part of this question would be, uh, what happens if nations don't pack, pay back their debts? Uh, let's say it's a, a secured loan, which most of these are. They're, they're loans against critical pieces of infrastructure like railroads, ports, mining fields, whatever. Uh, and and the nation, you know, uh, obviously if that happens with a bank in, let's say, the United States, uh, I don't know, let's say they have security over your house for a home loan, well, that's easy to repossess, you know. Uh, obviously, there's a legal proceeding to, to do it. They go to court and they show that you haven't paid it back or made any attempt to pay it back. And, uh, you know, from there, they, they basically call up the sheriff's office and say, hey, um, you know what, uh, you got to go repossess this house. And, you know, the sheriff's department normally goes and takes it. And um, normally it's relatively peaceful, but by force if, if necessary. It's, it's a horrible thing, um, but it happens. And that's just sort of the, the product, you know, that's just sort of the process for doing that. Now, if we're talking about uh, a port in a foreign nation, China doesn't necessarily have any sort of direct jurisdiction over that nation. So if they sort of show up and say, hey, uh, you've defaulted on your debt, give us our port back. Well, there's nothing stopping Kenya from going, hey, pff, up yours, it's our port. What are you going to do about it? 
Um, and then obviously I hand over to you. What 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 do you sort of postulate uh, China's options were uh, in this kind of scenario? I don't know. Let's say you're Xi Jinping and, and you've got to sort of react to that kind of message. Cut, cut economic ties with them. Don't lend them anymore. It's probably yeah. because of capital flight also. Yeah, yeah, don't lend with, don't lend to them uh, anymore. Of course, that's that's probably the, the big one. You know, they've defaulted on their debt, so they've got a, a nationwide bad credit score now. Uh, but realistically, I would I would argue that you probably want to take, you know, you want to take control over this, wouldn't you? I mean, uh, what I'm sort of well, hinting at is is do you think it depends on what the cost is, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, but but I guess what you're getting at is there could be a situation in which uh, China then acts as the police officer and actually goes and enforces it. It just seems like how, yeah, at this point, it verges into the territory of international law. Um, international law is a really difficult subject, and I don't think we have time to really discuss the ins and outs uh, of it here. But to put it uh, in as short of words as possible, it's that uh, international community has a, we have norms and like quote unquote like traditions of of like behavior, um, and you know, somebody in, in chat said, uh, where is it? International foreclosure, the modern alternative to conquering land. In, that's that's what the layperson would think. But in reality, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, you know, China has a number of options uh, for recourse, uh, especially within uh, the international community. Uh, but so does Kenya. Kenya does have a, a number uh, uh, a number of choices of, re of recourse. I've talked to people in uh, the economics explained uh, Discord server before about international relations. One of the things is uh, is that we often uh, consider uh, the relationship of just Kenya, like I'm using Kenya as an example, Kenya and say China, and we just look at those two. Uh, and we imagine that everybody else is, is no longer at play. There's nobody else in this, in this system. We're only caring about uh, China and Kenya. Looking at it like that kind of ignores the greater picture of there are other countries out there in this world, and there are countries that are looking at the situation in Kenya and and seeing what's going on there. I use Kenya as a hypothetical. I'm not, you know, again, I'm using right. Kenya as a hypothetical. But let's say they would look to the events of uh, what China's doing in Kenya and say they would either say I am happy with what's going on there, or I just, or I'm not happy with that. And from there, uh, we have uh, kind of the we enter into the realm of international politics and international uh, law uh, because countries could could either uh, say, no, 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 China, you can't do that. You can't have uh, excessive lending like this or, or effectively uh, create debt traps. Or they could say that. They could you know, say, oh, yep, rubber stamp it. It's totally fine. On the other hand, they could go and, and say, uh, we support Kenya uh, in this case, and uh, China is the boogeyman. Or they could say, "Oh, Kenya, you should have, you should have known, you should have known. You there were all the warning signs uh, that this was a debt trap. You kind of got yourself into this." Um, so that, that's what's going on on the surface. There's also a, another yeah. option, which is that the um, you know the other countries in the world go to China and say, "Well, we're we're going to let you do this if you let us do X, or if you give up on sure. these claims or whatever." Sure. Like that, I mean, there's a there's it's a it's a very intermixed uh, web. Um, so when we talk about these things, there's a lot of things we have to consider. Uh, it's the list just grows and grows and grows. Um, I suppose if 
the aim is to like colonize quote unquote uh, Africa, then it's not a good tactic to, to basically go with fire and sword. Just scare everybody of yourself. Exactly. I mean, war, war, generally speaking, in the modern world is, uh, I, th I think it's going to become more and more rare. It's not something yeah. that um, that's going to be very common in the next century, I don't think, because um, really the, um, the, the arena that we exist in now is uh, no longer one of um, uh, a physical war, it's one of geoeconomics. Yeah, but I think um, I think I think you guys are, are right in the sense that a lot of people sort of jump to the oh you know well, okay well China will just go out and invade them and you know hoorah, uh, which is not a which is of course not actually the case. Um, I think look there are sort of so 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 many alternatives uh, as opposed to you know um, going and, and you know sort of storming the beaches of Kenya um, <laughs> that exist to China that it would just it just probably would never become a reality because you know the international community would make sure it doesn't become a reality and also um, it doesn't that send a terrible message hey take a loan from China get invaded 10 years later Ugh, I don't think I'm going to take a loan from China uh, plus can you imagine the uh, you know can you imagine the news articles if you saw it I don't know uh, Chinese destroyer sort of off the coast of some nation as they sort of yeah, it would just be it would be a complete disaster not nearly worth the money you know i think they would write off the debt before they before they sort of did that uh, but it is an interesting question yeah or refinance it or whatever you know like yeah, you know, no, find they... some other way war is super expensive it's just it's not it's good business expensive. let's put it like that <laughs> yeah and there's also the the whole thing about even if like i okay i'm gonna use kenya example suppose kenya does default and then china instead of deciding to you know curtail uh you know let's say, uh, scholarships to uh, Kenyans to go to uh, prestigious Chinese universities. Instead, they keep those scholarships because what they're doing now is now they've built connections with Kenya. Why sever those connections? We now have the potential for further business uh, opportunity, or China now has potential for further business opportunities in Kenya. They might have lost the port or the port, they default on the port, and that's, you know, or, you know, on their accounting uh, sheets, that's that's bad. But the benefit of having engaged first in that transaction might, uh, you know, benefit them down the line. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, you all sort of make fantastic points. But I don't want to sort of stay on this topic for too much longer because uh, it's an hour in and we've answered two, three questions now. Um, so it's 20 minute average. Now, I think we'll... Um, Let's take a lightning round. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's let's um, you know, just each person gets to say one thing for the next two questions, so we can sort of knock some out. So go find us a good, interesting question. Oh, okay. Um, how do you think the recent economic? How do you think the recent recent economic downturn will impact the Belt and Road Initiative? Okay, I'll go first, and I get to say one thing, so there's no responses. This is a fantastic question, and obviously one thing that's on people's minds. Now, uh, I think, if anything, the plan will still remain the same. Uh, I think China's looking at this as a sort of a decades-long project rather than something that's going to happen overnight. Um, ultimately, what it's going to be is sort of just to slow down the process. They're not going to be able to sort of travel as freely. Uh, they're not going to be able to sort of develop stuff as fast. Uh, and they're not going to be sort of working in an environment that's quite as conducive to international trade and development uh, as what it was, you know, sort of even four months ago now. Um, but ultimately, I think it's sort of a minor hiccup in the road, uh, not something that's going to be sort of particularly catastrophic. Uh, what do you think, Matthias? 
Uh, I think it's actually going to accelerate the process because um, the economic situation in the U.S. is making them more and more insular. And uh, when the U.S. is more insular, since they're you know the main uh, economic hegemon, uh, hegemon in, in the current financial system, uh, when they're more insular than countries that uh, need credit and, and need a working financial system are going to look other places. And China is providing an alternative right now, for example, through you know the blockchain-based service network, which is uh, something that was just launched two weeks ago. They've been working on for like a year. Um, I think what we're going to see is uh, countries like Pakistan and uh, you know other nations uh, fast-tracking um, their onboarding into this new financial system. Oh. Beautiful. Uh, all right, Captain Locke, your answer to the question. Uh, I agree with both of you. Um... It's hard to tell, honestly, but it's not going to negatively affect it. This isn't going to, you know, uh, halt or like just completely end uh, the entire project. It could be somewhere of eh, it slows a bit of down, or it could just completely accelerate it. I agree with Matthias that um, that United States hegemony is is waning uh, pretty quickly, and the the recent uh, coronavirus, uh, just how it's impacted the United States here. Um, it's going to have lasting effects uh, for the United States uh, economy, um, and it might shift the balance of power. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, pick up the next. Oh, sorry, Matthew. Do you have anything that you want to add? Yeah, I just find it very interesting what Mafia says. I wonder how how much exactly will this accelerate the Chinese hegemony power? Yeah, which is ultimately what they're after, I don't know. Uh, never, never let a good crisis go to waste. I hope, and uh, you know, maybe they sort of really learn to that advice. Uh, beautiful. All right. Uh, so, lock. Uh, pick the pick the next question, and we'll do the same thing again. Lightning round. I like it. <laughs> All right. How will the South Ch uh, How will the South China Sea dispute affect the Belt and Road Initiative in uh, Asian Sea countries? Oh, it's really interesting, of course, because I think. Uh, in that sense, obviously, they probably maybe tried to assert their influence uh, through means that were a little bit more uh, overt, a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and maybe they've seen that it's really kind of probably not working for them, which is maybe they're, they're trying a, a new approach. Um, but as for the dynamic between the two of them, man, uh, there's just so much. It will be purely speculation because uh, it's an incredibly heated issue um amongst obviously the players in, in the south china sea um and then hey you know if anything perhaps these people that are sort of considering signing on to the belt and road project will sort of say oh well you know uh is that the sort of future that we're in for if we do get involved in this um but outside of that i think those two would act dare i say it relatively independently of one another uh tyus what are your thoughts well um so there, there's uh, the reality is two kind of things. You have you have uh, the shore reality, so the the formal reality, which is um, uh, I think they're not going to go in and assert a formal claim on the South China Sea. But then there's the de facto reality, um, and I mean the, they kind of tie into each other in the sense that I think, and this is all speculation, of course, but. I think it might be likely that we'll see something like the, you know, the NAFTA deals, uh, but for um, for Southeast Asia, uh, where uh, China tries to assert their dominance not um, through direct military means, but through um, uh, geoeconomic means. Uh, 
So if you if you create um, a free trade deal in uh, uh, in Southeast Asia, among uh, say Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, so on, uh, I I think uh, that that might actually on Malaysia, I forgot Malaysia, but I I think that might actually be something that um, that they're looking at. Um, and that's going to create, um, you know, a de shore organization around the South China Sea, uh, which they can then go in and assert uh, de facto dominance through soft power in. Yeah, I agree with uh, Matthias when it comes to the de facto and uh, de jure uh, setups there. Uh, I've joked in the past with, on pe with people on the Economics Explained uh, Discord server. Uh, check out check out our server shameless plug uh that it would be great if we could just have uh, an exclusive economic zone that was that we hash out in international treaties between um you know all of the contenders and the, uh, the claimants uh in reality though any efforts to really uh do the uh, to push towards that initiative are going to be uh they're going to unravel really quickly uh it's because there's so many conflicting claims and it would take years of people dedicating their lives to just hashing out an agreement that may or may not actually, you know, get a, a get signed. Um, and then it, it's more it's it's more of a it's it's a stalemate that just doesn't seem to have a resolution. Um, and so I often other joke that, that it's just going to continue to exist for as long as these countries exist. Well, th this is kind of why I, I think that, it, uh, sorry to break the lightning round, but yeah, th this is, I mean, th this is kind of why I think that they're going to go for the Dishore, uh cooperation route, because that's really how you can resolve exactly. these yep. the conflicting claims. Uh, if if uh, everybody in the area basically just accepts like, okay, like the only way we're going to win is by, um, uh, by, by making, uh, uh, you know, a, a cooperation between all of these nations that have conflicting claims, and then you know, Dishaw and to our, especially to the ones of these countries, their democracies, towards our constituents, it'll look like we won because we actually asserted our claim on this area. Um, but China still, you know, gets through the soft power, they still get basically what it is that they want, exactly. which is to push the US out of that area. Yeah. Interesting. And well, you did break the lightning round. How could you? Um, so uh, it is getting late here in uh, Australia, and I actually do have some more work that I need to do tonight in relation to tomorrow's video. Um, so, Locke, uh, take one more question, and um, we will uh, then call it uh, a night, I think. Yeah, this question. Oh, I forgot to read off the people's names of who said what. Um, this is from Von Krom on the Discord server. Do people have projections for the expected return on this deal? Or is that not possible because of the international community just simply does not know enough details? And also, we can't predict the future. What deal? The BRI. Hmm. That's well, what the BRI. The BRI is, you know, uh, hundreds of deals. Yeah. So which yeah. one of them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess I botched I botch that. Uh, yeah, oh, I think uh, the the answer to that question is another lightning round. No, no one knows because there's too many of them. All right, cool. Next question. It's uh, going to be a big number. All right. All right. <laughs> um, let's see. 
running out of questions. Um, yeah, we are running. Uh, oh, so actually, I think I think he's he's the he's a nice easy one. Uh, I think it's probably one to to finish off the night. Uh, which is uh, sneaky squid said on the YouTube live stream. Would this uh, road and belt uh, belt and road initiative push the UN to become a world currency? What are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, one thing to address is, of course, uh, it's it's kind of like a currency that's still influenced by by a national government and how that will impact it. Uh, but of course, how would this sort of you know sort of more global influence push uh, the UN out there into uh, the global sphere? That would rely on dollar not being a world currency anymore, right? Ah, not necessarily. Maybe it's just a, an alternative. Try to do accounting in two volumes, right? Yep. Uh, I am excited to see it become um, a world currency where we start holding in reserve uh, or more more and more nations start holding in reserve. Uh, how do you how do you pronounce the name of the currency? The Yuan? Yuan. Yuan? Yuan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's RMB. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. Th I don't think that's going to to happen. To be honest. Yeah, and why not? Well, just basically, it's not like in a, in a geoeconomic um, reality, there uh, the amount of power that you wield through having your own economic sphere um, is not worth giving up. So I don't think that uh, that um, like first of all the U.S. is not going to accept it, but even countries that are cooperating with China are not going to accept it. And I think also mo most companies, I mean, just just from the fact like you can look at how much trade finance companies that trade with China do. Um, I I just don't think that companies even want to hold uh, uh, RMB. Uh, I mean, did. There, there is the digital RMB initiative that's being launched and so on. And I, I think, uh, you know, for, for credit, um, I think it's uh, going to be more and more used. But um, it, oh, this is a very difficult question to answer without getting into some of the internal mechanisms of China. Like it, China, uh, the, the whole point, for example, of the Hong Kong setup that China has is that they want to insulate their economy from the global economy. And so it's not even in their interest to make RMB into an international currency standard. Um, I mean, they, they want some of their trade part partners to use it for credit, but they, they want to be able to very tightly control uh, the money flows in and out of China. And so th this makes it completely incompatible with uh, being um, a, a global medium of exchange. Yeah, interesting, and I think I think ultimately you are right. Um, you know, the US is obviously does very well by having it uh, its currency out there, kind of almost been a almost been like a commodity. Um, whereas China, just you know, just given the way that it does business, the way it conducts itself, uh, you know, wants it to be a currency. It wants it to be a currency that it has a, a, str a strong control on. Um, yeah, which I think is is the way I'd answer that sort of question as well. Um, they they want influence, but. Uh, they don't want influenced by that, um, but ultimately, sort of time will tell. And it is a very, very interesting question, a good one to finish off the stream with. So, um, with that out of the way, um, it is it is bedtime for me. Um, so, thanks for everyone that watched the live stream. Uh, thanks for everyone that sort of asked questions over on our Discord server. If you're not part of the Discord server already, I would encourage you to do so because we already have sort of great conversations like these all the time over there. Um, 
uh, or I don't know, we just we just call economics explained a Keynesian shell, whatever it is that uh, you know sort of makes you happy. It's it's all good times over there. Uh, of course, uh, big thank you to our uh, participants here on the live stream. It was fantastic to, to have sort of um, really really strong opinions for and against, and some really really great discussions. Uh, as I have said before. Uh, if it is something that you would be interested in doing, coming on as a guest presenter, uh, and you do have something to contribute, uh, especially as it sort of relates to uh, particular particular videos or particular topics, um, we always encourage you to do that. To do that, uh, get in touch with uh, some of the moderators over on the Discord server. There's an application form to fill out, uh, and we do choose people to come on here to contribute to these discussions because uh, obviously it means that we can uh, sort of really, you know, sort of touch on these interesting subjects and get sort of some differing opinions that, that add a lot to the debate. Um, but with that out of the way, um, I'll let you guys all uh, get back to to whatever it is that you're doing, and uh, and and thanks for everyone again. So so good night all. Good night. Night. Good night. Take care, everybody.